Talk the, the Thrones. Thrones. The Ringer's instant reaction show for all things Ice and Fire is back. Now as a pod. To cover the new Game of Thrones spinoff, House of the Dragon. Every Sunday night, the Ringerverse, Chris Ryan, that's me. Joanna Robinson. And I, Mallory Rubin, will be breaking down the latest episode. Sharing our thoughts on all the schemes and plots. Uh, schemes and plots are the same thing. Dragons. And incest. Hey, it's a Game of Thrones show. So boot up your favorite podcast player and head to the Dragon Pit. Because fire and pods will rain. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. <laughs> Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Lucasfilm and Disney Plus, presenting an all-new Star Wars series, The Accolade. Stream the two-episode premiere this Tuesday and witness an investigation into a shocking crime spree where secrets will emerge and no one is safe from the truth. The Acolyte, two-episode premiere, streaming this Tuesday only on Disney+. Plus. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis, David Shoemaker, and producer Erica Cervantes here. David, on Thursday, we had the kind of juicy cable news bloodletting that would pique the interest of Brian Stelter, except it involved Brian Stelter. Mm. CNN canceled Stelter's show Reliable Sources, and with that, Stelter left the network he has been at since 2013. Now, for people who haven't followed Stelter's reporting career, he's basically the Adam Schefter and Adrian Wojnarowski of TV scoops. Or, and here's me leading you into our discussion, Stelter was that before assuming a new identity during the Trump era. What's your take on CNN's Helter Stelter? <laughs> um, well, I don't know. I'm interested to have the conversation. I, I think that probably what's, what stuck out the most to me was that this was not um, projected as just like a regular fire. I mean, right. There's like, there's a new boss in town, right. Mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, with the time Warner discovery merger, we, you know, I think there are everybody under the time Warner umbrella has been, um, living in fear, at least in somewhat reasonable concern that changes would be coming. Um, like anybody with a, you know, a public facing presence is, has to be concerned when, the people that brought you under their employee or kept you under their employee are no longer in charge. I mean, that sort of thing can happen, but this didn't, this wasn't projected as a simple, like he's not our kind of guy or never, I, you know, we don't, it's, it's time to part our ways. We, we just have a better idea for the time slot sort of move. It was, it was, uh, it, it seemed to be received and unrefuted to be a sort of symbolic move, right. Of a, of a sort of new era of CNN for which Stelter, uh, is the sort of figurehead for, you know, the, the kind of CNN they're moving past, which is sort of bonkers because you would think that even if you take all of the, and we'll get into the details of all of the conservative critique of Brian Stelter at, as fact, which one should not do, but even if you did, like why, it's, it's, it's a very specific sort of, it's a very specific sort of ideology that would paint Stelter as 
the public enemy number one or just the symbol of what's wrong with the network, right? I mean, you, if, like I said, if you were to say, not my cup of tea, you know, we'd like another media guy or we don't want just a media critic on like a regular, on a daily show, whatever. But it, it was obviously a bigger, it was something deeper than that. And it's kind of mind boggling. CNN, the new CNN, seems to see him as a resistance hero. <laughs> right. Or someone who is at least resistance adjacent. Mm-hmm. And it is funny because, as I mentioned, he was like Woj and Schefter, founds his blog when he's in college, TV newser, and he goes to the New York Times, and then he goes to CNN, and he seemed to be exactly the kind of down the middle, just the facts, breaking news reporter type that CNN wanted guy who replaced Howard Kurtz on reliable sources. Mm-hmm. It was a figure of old CNN. But then what happens, David? Donald Trump gets elected president. And all of a sudden, every Donald Trump political story is also kind of a media story at the same time. Mm-hmm. He's threatening the media. The people at Fox or a lot of the people at Fox are instruments of Trump or vice versa. He's tweeting all the time. His Twitter account is a story. Mm -hmm. And there was this choice to be made if you're a Brian Stelter type of reporter, which is do I try to maintain my aura as down the middle? I'm just calling him as I see him guy. Or do I get my hands a little dirty here? Do I pick a side and we can talk about what picking a side actually means when you're writing about the media and Trump in a second, but do I pick a side with the risk that I am going to get cast as resistance guy? Mm-hmm. And that hits me kind of hard because I remember when he did that reading, you know, reading his reliable sources newsletter and you and I just so happened to be hosting a fairly column as we see a media podcast at the time. And I think, Consciously or subconsciously, I thought, okay, well, I guess this is now the way we're all going to do this. Yeah. And I remember you'd, we'd have an episode and you'd ask me like, wait, are we a media podcast or are we a political podcast? Mm-hmm. And I'd say, I don't know. Trump did, <laughs> Trump did thing. Shouldn't we just talk about the thing? Do we need the media overlay of this? <laughs> do we need the media angle? Right. And are we just, and if Trump did a certain thing, aren't we just going to say what we think about this? Yeah. Um, and yeah. And if you, if you look at the, you know, the Reddit stuff, there are people that are like, uh Oh, you know, Shoemaker and Curtis knee jerk liberals. That's when I peaced out on the press box. Stelter just seems to me like a much, much, much bigger example of that. Only it's not necessarily the audience that went out. It's his own bosses. Yeah. Who decided they didn't like that approach. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see uh, if we get more details about that sort of new regime, the ideology of the new regime uh, in the coming days and weeks. Um, although, I don't know, everything that's been leaked or implied so far doesn't give you t too much reason uh, for comfort. Um, you know, CNN has always had this sort of rap uh, the knock on CNN has always been this sort of like uh, uh, both sides e to a fault sort of place, right? Uh, I mean, you think about John Stewart going on Crossfire 500 years ago. You know, I mean, it's it's uh, it's 
both sides at the expense of truth or honesty or balance. Um, and, you know, a lot of uh, news outlets have fallen victim to that, especially in the Trump era, but but certainly in the, you know, in the Fox News era, I think more broadly. Um, but see, but, but it seems like, you know, the, the new CNN is going to be doubling down on that, right? Is going to be, is, is going to be finding a new depth of both sides, both siderism, you know? And, <laughs> and certainly when you have someone like Selter who's, um, well, who's covering the news from a certain angle, um, which gives him a certain amount of cover, uh, but also, I mean, a certain amount of, it's a certain sort of, uh, position of morality, I guess. Right. It's, it, it's, it's, um, Hey, I'm not picking a side. I'm, 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 I'm choosing truth. That becomes an incredibly partisan issue in the modern era. And that's really, that's, that's the, that's the problem, right? I mean, that became, I think when you talk about him being a resistance fighter, I mean, his farewell to the, t for the to CNN didn't do anything to, to quash that notion. Um, but it was about truth and lying, right? And and not and not allowing liars to get away with what they're doing. And if that becomes your cause, it certainly could be your entire life's work in this era. And if that's what it is, then then um yeah, there's gonna be a, a bunch of people that have a problem with that, even though it's ridiculous. He said on his farewell, it's not partisan to stand up to demagogues. Mm -hmm. Meaning if somebody's threatening the press. <laughs> my my position is don't do that yeah does that make me a liberal guy mm -hmm. or if my position is hey fox news has this very very weird relationship with trump that no news organization has ever had with a sitting president mm -hmm. and i'm writing about it does that make me the liberal guy yeah, I mean, and Trump did everything so, you know, out in front of everybody else that, like, you could very easily, without conducting a single interview, you could very easily, like, write a, a feature story about the ways that, about all the instances in which Fox News was cowed by Trump, right? By all the times where he said, why are you doing this on TV? And then they fixed, they reverse course, or they fixed yes. what they, was going on. I mean, these things were happening right there in front of everybody. So yes. the, media, the media angle is sound, you know? I mean, it's true. Um, it's, it's true, and there's also this, and as I was saying to to get to the choice a minute ago it's like if if the risk is that i'm going to get lumped in with quote unquote liberals on tv is that just the price to pay the uh, price i'm absolutely willing to pay to say the things we're talking about yeah i mean i think that the you know when whenever someone writes the history i think one of the most damning things about the trump era is how few quote unquote conservatives how few people on the right found like, not, you don't have to be an anti-Trumper to find like just principled reasons, principled points of disagreement with the man, with his presentation, with his ideology, with everything else, right? And there's not that many people out there. I mean, we talked about Fox News. I mean, Laura Ingram may have may, may have said more like, may have had more like, you know, moral or political you know political disagreements with trump than anybody else in a public role on from the right you know and she's like one of the most diehard people out there it's just so rare that anybody would like if you're sitting in a seat like stelters it's it, it, why why was it so rare over the past five years for someone to be just like i have I'm, I'm just coming at this from a really specific angle and 
from that angle, the president is utterly in the wrong right now, you know, and how does that become constantly and in many different ways yeah. in the wrong? I mean, it's like if you were a public, if, 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 I mean, listen, it's kind of, it's, 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 it's always going to be interesting that there's like a, a media show on a network, right? I mean, there's, it's, it's going to, it's, it's, um, it's yeah, you know, it's probably a little bit of an anomaly, at least for the amount of the platform that he got. I but think it, so. you know, but like you know, there would never be like a a, a daily hour long like uh, linguistics show on CNN. But if there were, <laughs> it would be totally within it would be totally within reason for them to be just like the president is mangling the English language every day. This is my beat. Let me talk about it. <laughs> right? That wouldn't necessarily be partisan. I don't know. It just it 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 seems like. Like, I don't know. It, it's just really disappointing, you know. And and, and like I said, for it to be such a symbolic thing, you know. I mean, for it to to be so cowed by by this just oh silly and sad and scary part of our country's history that you would, I don't know, that you'd make a move like that. It's it's just ridiculous. It's silly that they would punish somebody, penalize them in this case, get rid of them potentially for standing up to Donald Trump. But also, if you look at the writings of Brian Stelter, he's not like one of the crooked media guys. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. No, but that's what makes him such a problematic figure for so many people on the right, is that he's... He's he's the media. He's guy. apolitical. You know, I mean, he's that he's he has the, uh, the claims of neutrality, which, is, which I think are largely justifiable. Uh, but, you know, that's the sort of... That sort of, you know, referee position is going to make some people just apoplectic because it's uh, it's it's harder to wave off. You talked about the new direction of CNN. Mm -hmm. Ben Mullen in the New York Times uh, quotes John Malone, influential Warner Brothers Discovery shareholder, saying he wants CNN to, quote, evolve back to the kind of journalism that it started with. <laughs> so this isn't. Tucker Carlson, Paul Begala crossfire. This is Mike Kinsley, Bob Novak crossfire. This is Bernie Shaw, Gulf War, Judy Woodruff, CNN. They're mm -hmm. talking about. Now, I think there's a really good good piece or segment to be done about whether 80s and 90s CNN was really what people remember it as. <laughs> The answer is always no. Not not on CNN, but of everything. But go. We had Nick Charles and Fred Hickman doing sports, and you had Larry King doing the Larry King Show in primetime, mm -hmm. which was not always Ross Perot. It was like a psychic guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's interviewing John Edward. Um. So there's that, but I don't think this is going to work. I think this is a stupid idea. I think these guys are taking people at face value when they say, you know what I want? I want BBC style news in America. I want unopinionated cable news. I don't yeah. think people want that. I think they might say they want that, but I don't believe they really want that. I don't think there's any evidence unless you have a massive news story like you know, today is the day that Russia invaded Ukraine and all the cable news stations go to here are reports from the front. Here is the news. Unless you have situations like that, I don't think on a just Tuesday in August, people want cable news to be like that. 
Well, I think to, I think that your first, I, I think that your original point, uh, your point you made on the way to this point is the is the real salient one. I don't think anybody when, when you say we want it to be like the old CNN, you know, like I said, it works in every genre. Why can't SNL be like the old SNL? Well, like how many of those episodes did you watch start to finish? Right? You know, mm-hmm. like like. Um, uh, I'm, I'm guessing you're not referring to the blackface that, you know, what, like there's a, there's a lot of problem. The, the old SNL was not the, was not the SNL that you probably remembered as you remember the, the highlight reel. And this is even more sort of insidious because I think when people are saying they want to go back to the old CNN, they're not talking about the content as it relates to partisanship. They're talking about this. It's like, it's like, I want things to go back to the good old America, right? They're like, like, like deifying, like glorifying the like fifties, Americana, it's like, I want to go back to a point in time where people didn't complain about the news, right? Where people, where, where the news didn't offend anybody. It wasn't what the news was doing back then that didn't offend anybody, but no one had made news a partisan issue, right? Also, there was no Twitter to complain about the news. Yeah. Of. Yeah. People wouldn't have complained I mean, like, about the Fort Worth Star Telegram if they had a Twitter account. Yes, absolutely. Have. Absolutely. And listen, that's not necessarily, that's not all good and bad. I mean, Chuck Todd trends about every Sunday, right? And it's because of whatever, his failure to, 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 to follow up a question that he doesn't get an answer to or whoever, he, but that would have never happened. You're right. You know, and, 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 and it's, and it's, it's good that some of that stuff happened, but, but, but it's good that a lot of it happens now, but you're right. I mean, it, it's, 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 you can't go, you can't put the genie back in the bottle, right? You can't go back in time to an era that you're not even in, engaging with in a real way because you want to like change the way that people engage with the news. Well, I mean, what are you going to do? Lock everybody inside and take away their phones? Like you're going to a Dave Chappelle concert, like just watch this and promise not to get mad and try not to get mad. I mean, it's not, it's, it's, it'll never be that way again. It has nothing to do with the ideology or lack thereof of the people on TV. It has to do with the way that we engage with television and that's done. Absolutely. Absolutely right. And think about what we're talking about. CNN. CNN of Jake Tapper, John King, Dana Bash, Anderson Cooper. Mm -hmm. This is the CNN that its new overlords are apparently looking at and being like, man, we needed to drum the opinion and partisan nonsense out of this place. Really? That that's the takeaway? Mm-hmm. By looking at the cast of reporters and anchors that CNN has? That's your takeaway? I find that, and again, I don't, just from a pure watchability perspective, I don't think there's a market for that. I really don't. It might be a nice world if there was a market for that. Occasionally when I'm driving around, I'm turn on my serious radio and listen to the BBC World Service so I can get the news sure. from all over the world. I love doing that. I don't do that very much. Yeah. I really don't in this media age. I wish I wish I were a better person and did it. No, more. but but what there is a but I think that the gambit is that what there is a market for is um well, maybe you're maybe you're right. Maybe there's not a market. But but it's but I think that the, the market that they're that they're seeking out are people that are like Fox News viewers who are exhausted by Fox News. Right? Isn't that it? Or people who want to feel good about not being so partisan in their viewership habits. And that's not specific to Fox News, right? I think those people just aren't going to watch TV anymore rather than seek out another cable news network if that person even exists. 
Right. There's there's 200 other channels on the dial. They don't need to be finding a different well, There's a different Facebook or whatever they want to do, right? Like, mm-hmm. I just don't think I don't think we're at that point in history anymore. But I think the in a very general I mean we'll see what happens. Certainly anything could happen. I think it's pretty I think I think it's it's without knowing what the plan is, I think it would be pretty easy obviously to just do whatever the hell you wanted to do with your new network CNN. And just do it under the under the veil of we're taking it back to the roots, right? I mean, that's you could you could turn it into a you know twenty four hours of cartoons about clowns, you know. I mean, but if you're just saying we're taking it back to the roots, <laughs> then like people then 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 at least you have the plausible deniability. It's just like you know a lot of people say clowns with car- clown cartoons are their favorite part of the old scene. You know, I mean, it's it's so silly. I think 24 hours of clown cartoons was actually USA Network in the 80s. <laughs> You're getting confused here. You're right. You're right. Different acronym, different three letters. Yeah. A <laughs> couple other notes before we get out of here. Uh, Jeffrey Tubin also left CNN. Did you hear about that one? Yes. I saw that it happened. I didn't read about it. Sadly. Always kind of a weird comeback. Uh-huh. Like you're out of the New Yorker, but you can come back to CNN. Mm-hmm. He did that semi-comfortably for a number of months now. He is out on CNN. And also, after canceling reliable sources, CNN rebooted its Sunday lineup, which will now include the show with the best title on cable news, David. Who's talking to Chris Wallace? <laughs> it's Watch back? for CNN Plus. It's back. Oh my gosh. Who's talking to Chris Wallace coming soon to a Sunday morning cable channel near you. Do we know yet? Who's talking to Chris Wallace? We don't. Hmm. We can guess some of the biggest names in politics, sports, entertainment, and beyond. (laughs) Wait, was he one of the ones that had the book, the book, book component? Was there a book club component or was that just something we talked about someone else? Jake Tapper had a book club on CNN plus. All right. It's the wrong unwatched CNN Plus show you're thinking of. Did, but the, the Jake Tapper book club is not coming back to the weekend line or not coming to the weekend li- lineup? I did not see that note. All right. But it might be. Stay mm-hmm. tuned. Any, anything's possible at the new CNN, as long as you don't have an opinion about Donald Trump. Coming up, David, <laughs> would you pay $8 billion for Big Ten football? And does your streaming service owe it to you to keep certain shows on in perpetuity? But first, let's do the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always gratefully received. I'm going to need you to cast your eyes on the Google Doc, David, because somebody Mm -hmm. uh, tweeted this reconstruction of Greek philosopher Aristotle (laughs) based on his bust. How would you describe this photo of Aristotle? <laughs> the receding hairline, kind of thick on the sides, beard, full of Look, face, as they say in the New Yorker profile. It looks kind of like Ben Roethlisberger, to be honest with you. <laughs> would you like some of the best jokes about reanimated Aristotle? Yeah, please. Uh, reanimated Aristotle looks like a guy who deletes all his tweets every three days. <laughs> Uh, reanimated Aristotle looks like someone who would call himself a philosopher on Reddit. <laughs> uh, Aristotle looks like he's about to ask, but did you read the comics? <laughs> 
And to your point, Aristotle looks like the guy who threw 27 interceptions for the Chicago Bears in 2009. <laughs> you like the look of Aristotle less than you did the week before last. Congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold slurpy drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven. And your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small slurpy drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that about me going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7-Eleven valid through 1725? 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, participating U.S. stores, see app for full terms, all rights reserved. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, in the notebook dump. Big story last week in the world of sports that will affect how I spend my Saturdays my entire Saturdays in the fall. The media rights to the Big Ten were purchased by Fox, CBS, and NBC. You can throw a little peacock in there. The price was eight-plus billion dollars over seven years. Starting in a couple of years, there is going to be a whole Saturday's worth of Big Ten football. A game on Fox at noon Eastern, game on CBS at 3.30 Eastern, then an NBC game as a nightcap. Wow. What do we make of the Big Ten's big rights deal? Uh, I mean, it's sort of just a distracting amount of money. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, sort of hard to talk about anything else than that. Um, I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, we were moving towards a two-conference reality. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're probably both going to be making uh, double-digit billions over the lifetime of a deal. And certainly to to to, uh, to sign a deal now when we're not in that reality yet and when, you know, future bargaining power is uncertain, it's going to be an astronomical amount of money because you're hedging against – them being able to get $20 billion in like 18 months. Right. I mean, it's going to, it's, it's a, um, it, 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 this stuff could all change overnight in both directions, I guess. But I think that we're in a, on a pretty steady March in one. Um, it'll be interesting, you know, it'll be interesting. Like, you know, we talked, did we talk about, did we talk about Notre Dame football last week or was that just off camera? I mean, we grew up in this era where, Notre Dame football is still on, you know, on NBC and, and, and kind of had a very specific place in the college football firmament. 
Um, mm-hmm. In Texas, in Texas, obviously things are different because, especially in our youth, you could, I mean, you watch Texas football, you know, no matter where you were in the state, every Saturday, and and you know, and and that was equally as uh, as big a deal, or, or more, or more than one. It is going to be kind of interesting, though, just to sort of see how college sports can be nationalized, sort of, and not nationalized in the sense that the government's taking them over. But you know, that can't be too far down the road. But but you know, I mean, to to sort of to talk about, I mean, even just to talk about college football, to talk about college football players who may be there for two years in the way that we talk about professional sports, it's going to be very different to kind of see how those conversations happen. I mean, I think maybe, I mean, maybe it's just from where I specifically grew up in North Carolina and Kentucky before I moved to Texas. But I guess, I mean, to me, I, I think back to, to, to college basketball in those days, but everybody knew, you know, the top 10 coaches and everybody knew the top players on Kentucky and Duke and, UNLV. Um, and that was basically, I mean, that was a bigger, bigger a deal than the NBA at that point, you know, in terms of just pop culture, per, uh, pop, you know, pop culture acknowledgement. Um, it, so, I mean, in, in that sense, to me, it's going to be, inc- it's an incredibly interesting project. Um, and also with all the sort of NIL stuff, I mean, I don't even know how it's going to, how, how it's going to apply, but certainly we're going to end up with some college athletes that are famous on an entirely different level than they would have been with without this. And, and, and certainly that'll become a big deal. Now, you know, does that mean that there's more potential business opportunities for somebody who's famous on a national level than there would have already been in, in Ann Arbor or Austin or wherever else? I mean, maybe not, but, but it, 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 that's, I, you know, I sort of am excited and totally dreading that conversation being the weekend week out, part of the way we view football too. I don't know. What do you think? What's your big takeaway? Well, the nationalization thing really, really is interesting because I'm a big college football fan. You know, I watch a ton of it, but if I'm coming into a game, let's say Alabama versus Auburn, Iron Bowl, I'd love to personally see how many players I can name on both of those teams when the game starts. Mm Mm-hmm somebody who doesn't cover this, but watches a lot of it. And I'd love for the people who are not in the sec footprint people, as you say, who are coming at this as here is like my national game of the week to watch. Mm-hmm. How many players can you name total from those teams? You know, the coaches, you know, the schools and their reputation, but you're watching it for kind of an interesting reason. Yeah. You're watching it because like Alabama versus Auburn, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. Look at those fans. Look how excited they are. It's funny because our friend Jason Gay texted us this weekend about the NFL preseason games, how you get the um, the local announcers on every game. You know, I was watching uh, uh, Browns and and, and uh, Eagles yesterday because I'm in the Philly market and just sort of laughing about how inside a lot of the discussion was, right? I mean, it's still a very, it's still on some level a very superficial level but it's like superficial to like the local sports radio listener level you know i mean it's it's you're still talking about fifth stringers on you know and referring to them on a first name same basis and just sort of talking about their their likelihood of making the team or how they've been looking in practice or whatever else it'll be interesting to see if we get something closer to that with national college football or what the the dead opposite of that which is every single sh- every single broadcast is you introducing these teams to the viewer anew, right? Yes. Which we're going to assume that's the way they're going to go. By the way, no, yeah, I, I, I do too. The other interesting component of it, though, is going to be 
how people are watching or what they're watching for, right? Because the national, you're, I mean, the 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 audience for this is, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a college football audience, but just the football audience more broadly, are they more interested in who's going to win between Alabama and Auburn, or are they going to interested be interested in seeing what the people that are on the top half of the Ringers NFL mock draft are doing in the game, <laughs> right? Are they going to be more interested in who do I need to, whose name do I need to know for my fantasy football team in three years? There's certainly part of that. There's certainly part of that. And that's an, and, and obviously that, and obviously like, who's my, you know, who's my favorite team going to draft mm-hmm. next year? If my team needs a quarterback, yeah. am I going to, am I going to watch these quarterbacks? There's that kind of stuff. But and there's I, also the, oh, go ahead. No, but I, but I think it is up to the announcers when they do these games to explain who these people are. Mm-hmm. If you watch the big ESPN game, Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit on Saturday night, which is usually one of two or three games of the week with the most mm-hmm. the biggest teams, the most popular players. If you listen to them, it's all storytelling. Yeah. It's problematic as that word may be. It's them being like, here's who this person is. Here's where he transferred from. Here is where he, he is from. Here is his mm-hmm. journey as a quarterback. Like they are just boom, boom, boom throughout the entire game while they're calling the action. And it's just like, it's a whole different component than an NFL game where you come in and you're certainly going to explain a lot about the players and here's their new tight end and here's the guy they draft and stuff. But you're going to assume the audience knows a lot of NFL players mm-hmm. from fandom or fantasy or gambling or whatever. Well, yeah, it's just totally different. And, and I think you're watching it for a different reason. You're watching it for pageantry. You're watching because it seems really cool. You're watching for those shots of the stands where, because mm-hmm. it seems like, wow, this is something that the people watching this are yeah. really into. Yeah. It's funny, you know, the, the the point of comparison that I just thought of, and this is not, this is not a commentary on Herb Street or, or anybody who's engaging in storytelling now, but if you look forward to the sort of national effort introducing people, point of comparison, an interesting point of comparison is, is the NFL draft, where remember what we talked about last year, probably the year before, the, the whole thing is just like, like two minute promo, two minute, you know, video packages of the, of the heartache or whatever, like, yes. you know, like, like childhood trauma that every player has gone through and as a way of kind of humanizing them or creating some sort of the emotional connection to them. I mean, that would be an extreme, I guess, but, it, but after the, have we seen the draft for the past several years, is that, would that be shocking if they were doing a lot of that stuff? I yeah. mean, it, you're it, talking about the ABC telecast of the draft, which is all the personal, which is really yeah. into the personal stories. Um, but, but it's, you're, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's going to be, it's going to change the way that we, that we watch college football for sure. And, and I don't know. I mean, do you think it's going to change the way you think it's going to be, end up being a big issue or it's going to affect the way that the, that the playoffs, the college, the championship is decided because certainly what, I mean, you could certainly imagine a situation in which the big 10 having such a specific, have such, such a larger platform, which I have just a lot more. Uh, momentum or of support behind certain teams than every than than more deserving teams might. Totally, totally can. I mean, this is so. There's this great quote people have been resurfacing lately from LSU Chancellor Michael Martin. This is from 2011. He said, "I think we could ultimately end up with two conferences: one called ESPN, and one called Fox." Mm-hmm. Meaning the networks would have such an ownership stake in the conferences that that's how we would know them by the network that is not only showing them, but is 
pushing them and saying, look how good the football is here. Folks, you got to tune in because you become a booster of the conference. Mm -hmm. So now ESPN has the entire SEC and the Fox conference in Michael Martin's formulation is actually the Fox CBS NBC conference. Yeah. So you have three networks. CBS, this is their game of the week. NBC still has Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Fox has other things, but that's going to be their big, that they have the number one Big Ten thing going, Big Ten football, man. It's where it's at. Mm-hmm. Ohio State, Michigan doesn't get any better than that. Wisconsin, Iowa doesn't get any, I mean, please watch Wisconsin, Iowa. And that's part of the rub here too is, and you and I can be uh, Big 12 snobs about this if, being a big 12 snob is actually a pose that one can take. But the athletic notes that of the last 16 national championships, the big 10 has won one. The sec has won 12 in that Mm -hmm. time. There is plenty of unappetizing big 10 football. Yeah. So now you're not only saying big 10 game of the week, you're saying big 10 game of the week times three (laughs) all day long. And yeah, right. So you're right. It is going to change it. But also, there's only so much selling you could do. And if there's a down year for the conference where it's like, okay, Ohio State's really good. Michigan's well, really good. Mm, beyond that, here's a- it's actually That actually sort of makes the case for it being like the Fox Conference or it would see, you know, whatever, the, 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 to, to sort of changing the name. The Big Ten obviously is has a, hu- a huge amount of name recognition and value. And and that's what, I mean, they're invested in it for a very specific reason. But like, like when I was a kid or before I was a kid, I mean, really, um, you know, the, all pro wrestling, before the, the WWE, WWF, pro wrestling was all just these little territories, right? So like the pro wrestling show you'd watch in Florida was different than the one you watch in Memphis, or the one you yeah. watch in DC or New York, whatever. But they would all sort of, there was the NWA. So there was like a national champion, but week to week you're watching it. They all sort of had to pretend like there was no world outside of where they were. And you believed it, right? You like your local champ was your favorite wrestler. This is the world champion right here. Yes, exactly. And so one, I mean, you, it sort of makes the case for, for uh you know fox or whatever just changing the broadcast to like this is college football these are the college football championships you know whatever and just leave it vague enough for the uninformed <laughs> viewer to be just like this is the only one that matters all right it's just like it doesn't really matter if you know whoever if, if the if the nebraska is getting squashed week after week but if, if they can have an if they can have like what happens next week matters for the end of the season you know if like if they're if 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 an underdog can change the course of the season or whatever then that becomes all that really matters right ohio state is going to lincoln Mm -hmm. they're undefeated yeah as crappy as nebraska's been are they gonna you know change the course of this entire college football season Mm -hmm. sure and by the way that's what you're saying is exactly what these these networks i almost said conferences networks are going to do it week to week Watch my game of the week instead yeah. of the other game of the week. This mm-hmm. is college football. What is it? College football lives here, right? To use the yeah. TV phrase. I don't know if you saw, but CBS, that really cool song that they play, they've been playing now for years under their SEC game of the week. Do, 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 uh-huh. do, They just put it up on Twitter with a reel of Big Ten football after the deal was closed. Oh, mm-hmm. that song that in your mind says Auburn, Alabama, Florida, LSU, by the way, now, 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 now it says Wisconsin, Ohio mm-hmm. State, Michigan. The part of this 
that's also interesting is going it alone without ESPN. Mm -hmm. Because I know whenever, not to bring it back to the Big 12, but whenever there was a rights deal, it was always like, look, you have to be in with ESPN, at least part of your rights, because there's SportsCenter, there's ESPN Radio, there's the website, there's just so much that ESPN will invest in you Mm -hmm. and promote you, as we're talking about, if they have a stake in it. Yeah. Big Ten is going without ESPN. Now, here's my question to you. That still matters to some extent, but does it matter less in a world of shrinking cable bundle subscribers? ESPN's place in the media universe still huge, but smaller than it was. So so your your question is, does it matter less in a world where people are getting their sports news from Twitter gifts than they are from SportsCenter? Yeah. Yeah, it certainly matters less. Uh, you know, it's also going to be interesting to see. I mean, listen, it, it was a big deal for the UFC when they had their, you know, when they signed their deal with ESPN because suddenly UFC highlights are on SportsCenter every night. Now, it's also a big po- deal for ESPN Plus. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. no, no, I'm saying, but, ju- the on the, uh, on if, but from strictly one-sided point of view, I mean, yeah, it, it cuts both ways, right? I mean, when we talk, ESPN pays for Monday Night Football in part because they you know, get it, it comes with the highlight rights, you know, they could do whatever they want to with the NFL all, for their, all the rest of the games. And that's important because they wouldn't avoid the rest of the NFL games just because they're not on ESPN. Right. I mean, even if they lost it, they'd probably still be covering it as best. They lost Monday Night Football. They'd still be covering it as best they could. Um, at some point, it becomes an institutional thing where you can't just not cover it. And I think that in, it's a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy with the Big Ten. This is a multi-billion dollar rights deal airing on across multiple networks, it would be impossible, I think, for them to not cover it, even if it's oh. um even so so I mean that's a separate question than the one you asked. But but yeah, does it does it to go to go it without ESPN, does it matter less? Yeah, it, it matters less. I think yeah. there's a lot of there's there are probably a lot of people, there are probably a lot of singular voices on Twitter that can shift the 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 you know tone of the discourse around college football more than Anything they could do on Sports Center. Well, I, I saw the question asked, will game day still go to a Big Ten game of the week if ESPN has no stake in the Big Ten? The answer to that question to me is obviously they will because they don't want to throw away the credibility of the show. Mm-hmm. They've done it for many years. You know, we're going to go to the site of a game that's being televised on another network because we have to go where the game of the week is. Yeah. And if we don't. Well, we, it is we throw away the we flush the credibility of the show. The show's about all of college football. I, I agree with you, and I do think though that's the that that's a really good question in terms of just a very specific, a very narrow way to look at how they're treating it. I mean, obviously, there's going to be judgment calls or judgment calls even now on the game of the week schedule. Right? So if it's so, a and, coin flip and yeah. it's a Big Ten game that's very similar to an SEC game or a Big Twelve game that they have the rights to. Mm-hmm. Pac-12 game, do you, does it, does the coin flip go one way or the other? I don't know. That's where you it could, gets interesting. It is. And you, and you could definitely see, you could definitely imagine the internal conversations. It's just like, well, it's a coin flip. And guess what? We haven't been to Lincoln yet this season. So there you mm-hmm. go. The different backdrop. We're, we're not going to, it's not about the teams. We're going to blame it on, we're, we're going to, we're going to make this like a, like a, a set decoration decision, you know, whatever. <laughs> All right. One more topic for you before we go here, David, and you sent this one to me. You may have been speaking in your role as a dad when you did. <laughs> but the Washington Post notes that HBO Max has removed 
almost 200 older episodes of the beloved kids show Sesame Street from its streaming service. This is Mm. Samantha Cherry reporting. Platform now offers 456 episodes of Sesame Street down from the estimated 650 it used to have Variety reported. Um, Also, some of the works set to disappear from HBO Max include the teen drama Generation, the Sesame Street spinoff The Not Too Late Show with Elmo, and the animated series Aquaman King of Atlantis. Your mileage may vary on those. HBO Max did not announce why the TV shows and films were going to be cut from the service, but the move will help the company save money that would have gone toward paying residuals. So does HBO Max owe it to you, David, as a man, as a podcast host, as a father, to keep all the episodes of Sesame Street? Uh, well, I think it's a bigger conversation than just Sesame Street. Because HBO Max is in this cost-cutting mode right now as part of the aforementioned uh, Discovery Time Warner merger. I bo- I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna botch the number here, but but the the you know, HBO, the president of HBO, I guess, is, was charged with finding four billion dollars in savings. There was of Warner was was charged with finding like four billion dollars worth of savings. So mo- they 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 famously like canceled or just. Try, you know, toss the Batgirl movie in the trash after it was deep into post-production, I mm-hmm. guess, or whatever, because it's that you could just call it a sunk cost. You could write it off, like whatever the rationale is. You don't have to spend the money promoting it, right? There's a lot of shows that have been, that were in production on HBO. They, they, they canceled all of the HBO Max originals, you know, that were, that were in production. And then, but there, but there were a lot of shows that were just sort of finished that are, were living on HB, HBO Max that are not going to be there anymore. Because of the residual issue, because of I'm sure at some point there's a hosting fee, hosting costs that that you can start tallying up in large numbers. I think the bigger question, yeah, is like what is the, I mean, you know, certainly whatever you signed, whatever when you gave them your 9.99 or whatever, it did not did not compel them by law to keep this or that, you know, available on the streaming service forever. But it's sort of been the implicit promise of streaming in general, right? Like you can be, you know, people were, you know, mad first when like Netflix lost the office or whatever the show was because it went to another streaming platform or whatever movie it was. We can now understand that, right? We now can wrap our heads around, well, they only had it for a limited amount of time. But the, there's a deeper question where it's like the streaming thing, this like, these shows, they live in the cloud, right? There should not be, there, there should not be like a, a, a shelf space issue with, the, with streaming broadcasts, with streaming television, movies, whatever else. And obviously it's deeper than that, but don't, but, but isn't the sort of implicit promise that you can get whatever you want anytime. And the, and I think the crazier thing about some of these HBO cuts, whatever time Warner cuts is that these shows are going to be, are just going to be disappeared, right? There's shows that are, that exist that will not be available, you know, in a year because maybe you can find them on Apple, on iTunes, TV, whatever, and pay for them. But there's going to be shows that we never see again. And that's what I think the more interesting question is, right? It's like, is there this sort of implicit promise that what was there will always be there? And, and you know, what do these streaming platforms owe to us? Now, practically, it's impossible to police, right? Because mergers like the one we're discussing will change the business model and change the plans for everybody. Um, there's no, you know... Uh, there's no user agreement that would stop somebody from buying Netflix and saying, 
I'm getting rid of everything that's like TVPG because I want, I'm worried about the children, right? I mean, it's either it's any, anything is anything is possible, but I don't know. I mean, listen, I well to, to I me mean, to the point of like any merger is possible. I mean, when 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 I'll, I'll do wrestling again, apologies to everybody, but when Peacock bought WWE, a lot of the stuff that WWE or the WWE Network, a lot of the stuff that was living on there, the historical wrestling stuff disappeared. Some of it now that's still there is really difficult to search, but you know, there's no, there's always going to be this like old historical stuff that people are going to want to watch. That is, it's just crazy that we're moving in a direction of less things being available. I think that's what it comes down to. Is it really less things being available? Well, what if you, what if you wanted to do a, what if you, Brian Curtis, were going to do a prestige podcast about the history of Sesame street and suddenly there's 200 episodes. Don't give that away. No, (laughs) And suddenly there's 200 episodes you can't watch. Like wh- where where are you going to go to find? I guess you could probably go find a DVD set or something like that. You, you you'd figure it out. But you know, if we're talking what what if it's in 50 years from now and there's no DVD players on the planet? You know, I mean it's it's it is it's an interesting sort of curatorial question. Not and it's not just a question of of the user experience. But I do think that I don't know. I don't know, man. When HBO, like, listen, I can I can tell you right now, we watch a lot of Sesame Street in this household. Don't, we pro- probably <laughs> will not. It always cuts mi- deeper when you're. When but it's no, we'll probably not. We that will your not kid miss wants the, to watch. Well, we'll not probably not miss the 200 episodes that are missing. Partly because my three year old calls the show Elmo. You know, I mean, and and, and anything that predates him is not necessarily <laughs> uh, on on you know like on the top of the queue, but. Um, but you know, it is. It is. It, there does. I just kind of feel like if it's there, then I don't know. I feel like there's an expectation that it'll be there. HBO bought Sesame Street. They're like, this is our anchor for one of the anchors of our new streaming platform. Um, and this, and it'll always be here. It's just sort. It's. I don't know. It's it, it's it's it, it's a. It's not a simple question or answer. But I don't know. What do you think? I I I think it is a really interesting question. It's hard for me as a person from the era of physical media Mm -hmm. to be that mad because I'm still like, wait a second, I'm paying 9.99, 13.99, whatever it is to watch all these movies. Yeah. When before it would have been, I can rent three movies from blockbuster for this (laughs) price and I ha and they look like shit and I have to take them back after three days. But what if the So I'm getting a great deal. I mean, like, are you kidding me? And I can watch all this and I can cancel after one month and well, go sure. do another one if I'm mad. And if I really want something, I can still go buy a DVD. Well, that's and- on the way out too. The whole canceling after one month or before you have to pay that, they're gonna find a way to bite back bite for that in the near future. Mark my words. But the, I mean, but like listen, if 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 there were like an uh SEC streaming service in five years that somehow just absorbed all the rights to the entire history of Texas football. And they just decided because of a, because of a rights or, you know, uh, or hosting volume, hosting issue just to get rid of all of the, the Texas football games before 2015, you would be like, what, you know, it's not like you go back and watch these things every day, but you might want to go back and watch the championship game that you are at, you know, every like once a year or something. And that would be that that's it, it'd be sort of crazy. And, it, and and there's nothing you can really do about it. I agree. 
I agree. And if it, if it hit, if it was something like that, that I think was really personal and hit me, it's not just the office moving from one streaming service to another streaming service or the office, which you can go buy on iTunes or through Amazon or buy Blu-rays yes. of it. If you really like the office as very easily accessible, it's something that would be very hard to get. Yeah. And that was very personal to me. Yes. I would say like, this is really nice to have this living in my streaming service and I would be kind of pissed. Sure. I can. Sure. And the Blu-ray point is actually, I think is important too, because the, our generation, the generation you were defining, you know, we're probably the last generation that would even still have a Blu-ray shelf in our living room. You know, even though we, even though we stream things just like anybody else, we still have this sort of institutional memory that requires us to own the physical things of that, that we really hold dear. Right. But part, but I think that's what gets at the, the deeper question. The streaming services, and again, this is a blanket sort of definition. The, the streaming services have been teaching us that we don't need physical things, right? Mm-hmm. We, you, like literally, like, like I bet everybody listening to this podcast has at some point in the past five years, 10 years moved and decided to get rid of DVDs, well, even VHS tapes, or whatever, but like get rid of the physical things that they don't need to anymore. Their CDs or whatever, because platforms like Spotify just give you the music. They're right there. And if everything suddenly disappears, then it's that promise that's sort of broken, right? And it's not a literal promise, an implicit one, but it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's but not nothing. But if there's a demand for it, right, there's another streaming service that wants to come along and say, hey, everybody's mad that they got rid of these things. We will buy these things and we will put them on our streaming service, presumably. Yeah. We well, will buy the pre-Elmo, uh, out now non-canon episodes of Sesame Street and put them on our streamer. Well, is I think that, the bigger possible? question, I don't know. I think the bigger question becomes piracy, right? So in how much does that, how much they're opening the door for piracy to affect their own bottom line. But, you know, well, you're right. We'll see. Maybe, maybe there'll be a HBO Max Plus that will have all the shit that was just pulled off of HBO Max. <laughs> it's time for David Shoemaker guesses the strain pun headline. Yeah. Wednesday's headline about a couple that loves mini golf was pair for the course. Listener Ben Alshuler suggests it should have been till death do us putt. (laughs) Today's headline comes from The New Yorker. It's from listener Ping33. The headline sits atop The New Yorker's House of the Dragon recap. Before we go any farther, just let that marinate. Let that wash over you, David. The New Yorker's episode by episode recap of house of the dragon mm-hmm. did you watch the first episode i haven't watched it yet because that's okay. gonna, i'm gonna watch it with my wife and she was hot last night so here's some I'm, non-spoiler I'm a bad ringer employee uh it's okay I, i've often been that guy but i actually watched it last night episode one is about some would-be kings mm-hmm. who turned out not to be would-be kings right for various reasons. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think I could probably give you enough and I'll lead you a little bit. What was the New Yorkers strain pun headline? Um, crown. Is it okay? King throne crown, mm. uh, rule person who's um, going to inherit the throne. Rain. Oh, air. Uh huh. Air, air, uh-huh. uh, air, Air loss, air. Oh yeah, you're air, pa- Oh really? Air. Um, well, air. Um, 
Now these weren't these weren't good airs. They were oh bad air day. Bad air day. That's that's good. That's really good. Bad air day. New Yorkers really getting clever with their Game of Thrones recap headlines. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production magic by Erica Cervantes. The pod I did with NBC's Chris Collinsworth is up now. A couple people, David, pointed out this clip to me. I did not hear this or did not catch this in real time. Uh, Collinsworth and I were talking about how NFL analysts are graded differently now than they were back in the 90s when he started calling NFL games. See if you hear Chris Collinsworth utter the phrase that pays. I don't think you have to be sort of intentionally aggressive the way that you once did to survive in this business. More and analysts are more likely to be graded on how they explain to play, how they predict so. to play, how they yeah, explain I, the scheme. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. And, and uh... I think that's right. Says Chris Collinsworth playing the David Shoemaker role. I'll have another interview this week, and then Shoemaker and I are back Monday with more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, Brian.